Today we're opening our Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews 11, we're looking at one verse of Scripture today, but that won't be the only one we look at. Just the starting one. Say amen. Hebrews 11, verse 20. And as we look at this verse of Scripture today, I want to ask you just to stand for a reading. One verse, and then we'll have a prayer together. Let me mention as you're standing, just to reiterate what Brother Reese has said, that our outreach is a whole church outreach. Whether you're a senior adult or you're a young person, we need all hands on deck. We need people here that can help out with the booths and all of this. But we also need people just here being, just here being friendly. And so we need you. And then light for the loss. We have paid, the church has paid for 10 spots and be a nice brisket meal. And so uh, I need 10 men to be a part of that. All right. We don't want to waste any money. We have six or seven or so. JR, you can see JR right after this. They can get a count. And if there's more, uh, we will be glad to help, help with that also. So leaving at 5 o'clock. Uh, and so it'll, it won't be, you won't be out very late at all. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. As we look at this verse today, here's, I've titled the message, the, the Family and Our Faith. I've spent a good bit of time in this message as our PowerPoint presenters can, when I send them, I send them a whole manuscript and they, they could tell you this, this message is not something that came about in 10 minutes. But I spent some time in this text and I believe the Lord has spoken to my heart for us and I, I pray that you will hear this message for your family. I'm going to ask you to do one thing with me. After the message is completed, we're going to do two things. One is, I'm going to ask you to stand for your family. I'm going to ask you to come back to this altar and stand in prayer for a few moments, praying for your family. However, you, however that translates to you, I'm going to ask everyone that physically can to do that at the end of the message. Secondly, we have a dear lady here that is a guest with us today, and she has a physical need. Sister, we're going to pray for you at the end of service, and we're so delighted you're here today. God bless you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Pray with me today. Father, we, we know this is your holy and unchanging word. We ask that, O oh God, that you would bless this message in a powerful way, that you would anoint your servant, and Lord, speak powerfully to every person if your spirit doesn't move among us, if your spirit doesn't take these words and implant them in the heart, and if our hearts are not ready, it won't last out the back door. But Lord, I pray in this message that you would give life change, family change. And also, Father, I pray that it would be fruit that remains for all of eternity. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. I know you've been up, up a little bit today. But hey, you can get in shape at church. <laughs> Amen? All right. Today I want to speak about the family. One of the things that you're going to see in the message today, one of the, one of the, I, would, I would call it a glaring theme threaded through this sermon today, is this. You're going to see that a faith family has struggles too. Did you hear that? There's no perfect Christians and there's no perfect families, even faith families, that is Christian families. 
And as, you, as we read through the Bible, aren't you amazed at who God chooses to use? 90% of them, we would have never elected them. But God, in his great wisdom, elected certain people to be used by him to bring redemption to the world. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see a family today. I've titled the message, as I've said, The Family and Our Faith. The family's in trouble in America. Divorce is very common in our country now, even among believers. Idolatry is very rampant. You say, well, what's idolatry? God substitutes. Hear that? God substitutes. God has been substituted for sports or for activities, whatever. won't go in that. And also in the home, many homes, there's just an absence of God. There's an absence of spirituality. There's no Bible there. There's no prayer there. And there's no godly example there. Now, there's a verse that is very precious to me. There's a verse that, is, that I treasure. I could quote it in my sleep. I could quote it with my eyes closed. I'll, I'll let you see it on the screen. It's a verse that God worked in my life. And what I didn't know is that when I was a young man, when God saved me, uh, washed my sins away, and called me to ministry, me and the Lord had a little battle. I don't have time. I've got a lot to say today. So I've sent the warning shot. I've got a lot to say today, okay? Okay, we'll, we'll be out before they go to the light for the lost meeting. I'm, <laughs> I'm only kidding. But this is a verse that God worked powerfully in my heart as a young man. And what I didn't know at the time, I, I knew quickly. Number one is that it would confirm my call to ministry. Number two, it would speak to about my children. And it's a powerful message, a powerful scripture. And, and God used it supernaturally. And I wish I had time to go into how this verse came into my heart. It was really amazing. But it was more than just reading words on a page. It came alive. But Acts 2.39, look at the verse. For the promises to you and your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will cause to you and to your children. And that verse was just so powerful to me. And it spoke about my family. Now listen, I, uh, salvation is not something that we just get as adults and then somehow we leave our children out, we leave our grandchildren out. No, no, we don't want to be, we don't want to compromise with Pharaoh who said, you can go worship Moses, but leave the women and children here. He said, no, he drew a line that said, no, we're all going to worship. I want us all to worship. I want the boys and girls to worship. I want the young men and women to worship. Why? Because the promise is to you and to all of your children, to many as the Lord our God will call. And so that verse was very beautiful to me. But you're going to see today that the Lord uses imperfect people. And we look into a, a redemption family, a, an elect family, an elect person. The story that we, that surround, I mean, there's, well, I read to you one verse and I made mention to you that it's not the only verse because this one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, is a whole commentary behind it of how God worked in a certain family. And of course, you know, the story has to do with Isaac. It has to do with Rebecca and it has to do with their two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we see in this story that we're going to go to in Genesis, we see how that faith was worked out and through this family, but it was worked out in a very crude way as it is in our lives. It's, there's, this, this walk is not just a nice, tidy little box that we can put it in. We, it's, it's faith in shoe leather. It's faith in a real world. It's faith with real struggles. It's faith in relating to other human beings. And it's not always pretty. But if we'll lean on God, 
He can make a way for us. So what is the story? The story is about Isaac. I have to be honest with you, Isaac is not one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I don't relate as much to Isaac as I do Jacob, as if you're honest, probably most of you could say amen to that if you don't, 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 don't boast too quickly in your spirituality. But Isaac, not someone that I'm really drawn to in Scripture, but he's someone that God chose in, in his election. What's the story about? What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to walk through the story kind of in a broad swath. We're going to walk through this story, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to look at some principles of, the faith, of, of, of how God works in a faith family, and some things that we really need to be careful about as God works and as we walk with the Lord. How does it start? Of course, we know it starts with Abraham and Sarah. God spoke to them and said to them, you're going to have a child, your seed, through Sarah. Took a long time for that to happen, didn't it? Sometimes things, I would say, let me, let me change that. Things normally take longer than you think they're going to take. I'm talking about in the Lord. I'm talking about your walk with God. They take longer than they normally seem like they're going to take. And I'll add something else to that. They're usually harder than you think they're going to be. So for 25 years, they walk with God. And finally, Isaac was born. And the Lord gave them supernatural power. It says in the 11th verse of this chapter of Hebrews that Sarah received strength. That word literally means ability. And it's the same family of words that we get dunamis from. It's that same family of words. Not the same word, but the same family of words. You shall receive power. So it wasn't in the natural. They needed God's supernatural help to do what he had called them to do. And at, at 100 and at 90, God gave them this child, Isaac. And then later, God asked Abraham to do something that is just, it's really, I mean, from the message last week, it still just shakes me to my core to think what God asked Abraham to do. Now take your son, your only son, and offer him up. And that was one of the hardest trials that any believer certainly has ever had, but he obeyed. As time goes along in this faith family, this people of God, Sarah, Isaac's mother, dies, Genesis 23. And about that time, the Lord speaks to Abraham, and Abraham in his heart just said, Isaac needs a bride. I don't want him to take a bride of all of these natives in Canaan. I mean, they're, they're just a small group of people among a bunch of tribes. Remember I told you that, that even after Abraham died, all he had was a field with a grave at the other end where he, he had buried Sarah, and he himself would be buried there. He died without receiving it all, but he died how? He died in faith, believing. But God, he felt in his heart, Isaac needs a bride. So he sends his servant, Eliezer is his name. And he sends him to Haran, where he came from. And he says, I want you to go find a bride for Isaac. And every parent wishes that's the way it would still happen today. Come on, amen. And you know I'm telling it. Come on, right? And then all of a sudden, you know the story of Rebecca and how that the, the servant never mentions his name in 24th chapter because Eliezer's in that is a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit simply glorifies the Father and Jesus. And you'll see a beautiful type in Genesis 24. The, the, his name, we know it's Eliezer, but it's never mentioned there. Why? Because 
He has gone to tell Rebecca, which is the type of the church. He's gone to tell her about his master, her master. I want to tell you about Isaac. I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you about the one who's your bridegroom. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does to us? He tells us who Jesus is. He tells us how wonderful he is. And through the providential hand of God, the servant says, if the woman who I said, give me a drink, if she says, let me water the camels also, Lord, let that be her. And surely enough, it was her. And she was a very beautiful woman. And through a series of events, she yielded to go all the way from Haran, all the way back around the Fertile Crescent, all the way into Palestine to marry this person that she's never seen. But I want you to know we love Jesus, though we've never seen him. You've never seen him, but yet we love him. Why? The Holy Spirit gives us that love. Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. And so it says in Genesis 24, 67, that after the death of Sarah, Isaac's mother, that he's comforted. I'll read the verse. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and it took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. Notice, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now it's interesting in the story that what happened to Sarah is now happening to Rebekah. Uh, Rebekah is also barren. And for 20 long years, she cannot have a child. 20 years of barrenness. And I'm sure Isaac kind of began to think like, Abraham, how are you going to do this? Some of you are here today. How's God going to do this? How's God going to work his plan out? It's not for us to know the hows and the whys and the winds. It's our job to trust with all of our might and not lean to our own understanding, but simply to trust God and wait on him and watch him work. But it came in a moment of desperate prayer. Look at this verse. Genesis 25, 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So it was in a moment of prayer in, in pleading it. This word, pleading with the Lord. Desperate prayer. How I many you know that kind of prayer gets results? Listen, I've watched it. There's a kind of prayer that doesn't get results. But there's a kind of prayer that moves heaven to bend to earth. That kind of desperate prayer. It's like, it's like blind Bartimaeus. Be quiet, be quiet. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. No, 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 no. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord stops and says, what do you want? I want to see. Listen, if we'll plead before God, God will hear our prayer. It's called fervency in prayer. As, as, as the babes begin to grow in Rebecca's womb, not knowing, of course, that she was carrying twins. And not only was she carrying twins, she was carrying two nations in her womb. And this struggle was going on inside, and she didn't understand it. The scripture says she goes to God in prayer and says, Lord, what is happening? We read these verses, verse 23 of Genesis 25. The Lord said to her, now here's a powerful prophecy. Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. Now notice, notice the older shall serve the younger. This is God's plan. This is God's will. This is God's purpose. He didn't ask counsel. 
He didn't ask anybody's input. He said, this is my determined elect plan. The older Esau shall serve the younger. This was a prophecy of not just the destiny of two twin boys that were not twins at all, completely opposites, but yet this was the prophecy of two nations. And so Esau and Jacob are born. Reading in verse 24, it reads like this, and when her days were fulfilled to give uh, for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, the most opposite twins the world has ever known. Look at this. The first came out red. He was like a little hairy garment. <laughs> he was like a little furball. A hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out. Notice, notice, and his hand took, took the hold of Esau's heel, and his name was Jacob. And what you're going to see here is we're going to see the nature that these boys were born with, we're going to see it play out as they live their lives. It says, Isaac was how old? 60 years old when, when she bore them. And the boys grew. And Esau, notice, was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. One like the outdoors, one like the indoors. And Isaac, notice, problem in the family right here. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. These boys are completely different individuals. Esau was a man always hunting something. He was a man outdoors. Jacob was someone who liked to be indoors. He was more of a mild man. And we're going to see these natures play out throughout his life. Esau is always hunting. You ever, you ever met these folks? They're always hunting for something. They stay with something a while, and then after a while, that's not good enough. They go to the next thing and the next thing. Esau is a lot like a lot of Americans today, always looking for something, never satisfied. And yet the Word of God said, Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state that I am. He also said that we need to be content so we can say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. But Esau was a hunter but Jacob was someone who liked the indoors, a mild man. But he was also a heel grabber. He was also a deceiver. He was also a schemer. Now listen, as time, as time goes by in this faith family, as time clicks along, now I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to fast forward 75 years. Now we think when the day of the spoken blessing happened, we think, oh, these guys are 15, 20 years old. No, 75 years have passed. Esau, it says, was 60, 60 years old. Now he's about 137. A lot of years have passed. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of years have passed. A lot of living has gone on. A lot of choices have been made. Now, how many of you know, we can't get to the end of our life and at the end try to make all the choices. It's going to be an accumulative effect of our lives. We're going to be judged one day by our works. We're going to be evaluated by our works. So we need to put the Lord first in all that we do. So the day of spoken blessing came. Years have passed, 75 years. And the day comes when Isaac is about to speak the blessing. Now, a spoken blessing was different in that day. A spoken blessing was something as binding as a, as a court document. 
when the patriarch of the family spoke the blessing, it was irrevocable. Very powerful. I want you to notice what Isaac says. <coughs> Isaac is a little bit about out of touch. Genesis 27, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass that Isaac was old. Notice his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son. Notice. And he said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. And then he said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. I'm old now. I'm old. 137 years old. I don't know the day of my death. He thinks he's going to die at any moment. He lived 43 more years. <laughs> Way out of touch with reality. Not only was he losing his physical senses, I see something here. I think Isaac was losing his spiritual senses. I think his, his spiritual senses had become dull, and I'll show you that. And so what happens here is that Isaac tells Esau, I want you to go into the field, and I want you to kill one of the wild animals. I want you to bring me some food, and then you're going to bring me some food, and I'm going to bless you with the blessing of the firstborn. Now listen, the blessing of the firstborn to a Jewish boy was the most valuable thing that you could have in, in so many, many ways. But there's a problem here. Do you see a problem here about what Isaac is about to do? The problem is this. God had already spoken his will. Isaac knew what the will of God was. But yet we read here in Genesis 25, 23, the older shall serve the younger. Before they were born, God had prophetically, prophetically spoken his will for these two boys. The older Esau would serve the younger. And yet here's Esau, here's Isaac about to do something that is completely against the will of God. Isaac had lost, in a sense, his spiritual sensitivity. To do the will of God. So guess what? Miss Rebecca is listening. And she hears that Isaac is about to give the spoken blessing of the firstborn to Esau. And she knows what God spoke to her. And, she, and Isaac knows and the whole family knows the older shall serve the younger. Jacob is the one that is chosen. So what does Rebecca do? Rebecca comes up with a scheme. I just, I just call it the scheme. What's the scheme? The scheme is, Jacob, come here, son. What is it, mom? Now, get this. 75 years old. This is not a kid. Get that? Some of you didn't know that. Some of you thought this guy's 10 years old and doesn't have a will. No, he's in on it. He's in on the scheme. Here's what I want you to do, Jacob. I'm going to take one of Esau's garments. I'm going to put it on you. And we're going to go and kill a couple of goats from the herd, and we're going to cook it up, and I want, you're going to go in and pretend like you're Esau, and you're going to get the spoken blessing. Because God said, the younger, the older shall serve the younger. And that's exactly what happened. So here's what, here's the inner, in this, in this, uh, in this agedness, it, it, you know, Isaac is failing, he can't see, his, his, his wits are not as sharp as they once were. Now, maybe something physically has happened to him. I don't know. But what I, I do know is this. In this whole scheme, 
Jacob is tentative because it's, you know, hey, mom, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, when I do this, my dad's going to know it's me. He's going to find out it's me. And the scheme is going to be revealed. He's going to put a curse on me. And she said, let the curse be on me. You just do what I ask you to do. And so all of a sudden, he goes in. And Jacob and, and Isaac said something very interesting in Genesis 27, 22. You know, of course, first of all, he said, how did you kill this animal so quickly? You know, and then he said this. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, here's what Isaac said. The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. Isn't that interesting? I'm a Christian. Voice of Esau, hands of Jacob. I'm a child of God, but are you living like a child of God? Are you hearing me? I'm a child of God, but are you living like a child of God? Are you walking in the Spirit of the Lord? Sounds like the voice of Jacob, but man, the hands are the hands of Esau. Even in our own lives, we can have a dichotomy, can we not? So what's the result of all this? The result is... That from this scheme, it caused, uh, it caused an even greater rift in this already divided family. And as Jacob goes out of Isaac's tent, he did get the blessing. He blessed him. And I think that in the end, when he found out about all this, he, he knew in his heart what he should have done in the first place. Can I tell you, Dad, when you're not taking your place of leadership, your family's in confusion. When you lose touch with God, your family loses touch with God. And I think, I think Isaac is not walking as close to God in his heart, is not as yielded to doing the will of God as he once had been. And so all of a sudden, Esau returns with the, the, the animal that he had killed. He had already prepared it. He's ready for the blessing. And all of a sudden, he finds out once again, as Jacob has done to him over and over and over again, he has deceived him one more time, taking advantage of him. His name is Jacob. He's a sneaky guy. He's the car salesman. This says, oh, yeah, a little lady from Pasadena drove this to church on Sunday. Yeah, and they've ripped the, they've turned the odometer back, you know, 60,000 miles. He's a deceiver. He's a schemer. Here, now, Esau comes in, and, and we have commentary in the New Testament how, how painful this was to Esau. And it says in Hebrews 12, listen to this description. Looking carefully, lest, this is 12 and 15 of Hebrews, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness cause, uh, 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 springs up, cause trouble, and by it many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, see, when, when we make wrong choices, a lot of times we don't feel the consequence then, but afterwards... There's a reaping. And it says, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That's the commentary. Now listen to the story in Genesis 27. And Esau said to his father, have you not one blessing for me, my father? Bless me also, O my father. Now this is, there's pathos in this. And Esau 
lifted up his voice, and he wept. And his father answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be in the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass that when, that, uh, when you uh, become restless, you shall break his yoke off, off, your, off your neck. 2741, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And, and Jacob said in his heart, The days of my mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Consequences to scheming. So, because of this, Rebecca seeing this, as time goes along, Esau's anger doesn't subside. It gets worse and worse until finally, Rebecca, probably fearing for Jacob, her favorite son's life, she sends him away. Remember, there's consequences. Jacob is gone for 20 years. He goes to Haran. And in those 20 years, his life becomes very hard. He reaps more than he sowed by the hand of then future his father-in-law Laban. He reaps more than he sowed. It was hard 20 years. But also, during those 20 years of him being away, his mother, which I'm sure he loved, died. And because of this scheme, he didn't get to be a part of that. Sometimes our reaping can be very heavy, can it not? Here's what I'm going to tell you today about all this. We see this story. I've kind of just given a broad swath. There's a lot in between all this. But we see the story of Isaac. We see the story of Rebekah and Esau and Jacob. But there's some practical lessons that I want to talk about. The family, our families, and our faith. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. There's some le- I just titled this, The Lessons from the Faith Family. First of all, I want you to see this, that, that faith families struggle also. You need to know that. If you think that you're going to have the perfect family and never any tensions, that's never going to happen. But, but as I look at this, every single member of Isaac's family has issues, every single one. Here's Isaac. It seems to me, now I don't want to besmirch his character. Because I may get to heaven and find that it's completely different. But it seems to me that he's lost something in his relationship with God. We see Rebekah has turned into the manipulator behind the scenes. We see Esau is a young man, not so young now, driven by the lust of his flesh. That's what he's living for. Another party. And we see Jacob as a liar and a deceiver. Now, this is the faith family. Welcome to church. All those hypocrites at the church. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it works that way. Why? Because faith is worked out in the faith family. You got that? Here's what I want you to see. I want you to listen to this right here. Listen to this. When we walk in the Spirit, it makes our family strong. Say an amen. That's a good place to say amen. When we walk in the flesh, it weakens our families, it destroys our relationships, and it opens the door for Satan to work in our families. Hear this. Sometimes we're our worst worst enemies. So here's what I would tell you. If you're struggling as a faith family, it's because you're walking in the flesh and not the spirit. 99% of our problem is we walk in the flesh and we don't walk in the spirit. The flesh is selfish and damaging. What does the flesh do? Here's what it does. Now this is just like a, a, a sampling, bad sampling. Galatians says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that damage families. What about the spirit? Walking in the spirit. The spirit is unselfish. The spirit's life-giving. Galatians again. But the fruit of the spirit. Is it up there? Let's read it together out loud. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The flesh destroys The Spirit gives life and life more abundantly. The Spirit of God can bring us in, can bring the kingdom of God and the joy and the blessing into our relationships, into our home. Here's the question. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Talk about you as a family. Think about you and your family. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? And you say, oh, man, we, we know Jesus, Pastor. We were full of the Holy Ghost years ago in the great revival we had. That, well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's all well and good. But are you, are you walking in the Spirit now? See, because living for Jesus is not like you know, going to the gas station and getting a fill-up every now and then. It's walking with Jesus every day and striving to walk in the Spirit every single day, every moment of the day. So think about this. Isaac had once, had once been so in tune with God that he called on God, and his prayer was so powerful that God opened her womb and she could have a child. Rebecca was so close to God that she literally left her home hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to, to by faith, go to this family and to this man and marry this man she had never seen. She was totally abandoning herself to the plan, the purpose, and the will of God. And now we look at this family, and they're spiritually dull, and they are deeply divided. Here's what you need to know. Faith families have struggles when we do not walk in the Holy Spirit. Come on. Secondly, here's the second point. First point is faith families have struggles when we don't walk in the Spirit. And we walk in the flesh. Number two, we must learn to accept the will of God and not mix in our human understanding and our natural wishes. Now you listen, manipulation is dangerous. A controlling family member is dangerous to that family. Spirit-led leadership is one thing. A manipulating person in the flesh is completely something completely different. What you need to know is this. God's ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. God in his wisdom said to this family, I have elected Jacob to carry on the redemptive promises. This was God's choice. But yet, even though Isaac knew it, he couldn't accept it. Couldn't accept it. And here's Isaac. We have a picture of Isaac saying, I'm going to bless you, Esau. Well, how are you going to bless something that God will not bless? How are you going to usurp the authority of the will of God? How are you going to usurp the will and the word of God and God's clearly divine, uh, defined plan? I'm going to bless. Isaac, you're not going to bless anything. All you're going to do when you're, when you're not yielding the will of God is hurting your family. You're not going to help them. 
And here's Isaac. He couldn't accept it, so he's trying to force his will against God's will. God had already spoken. I'll read it again. Genesis 25, 22. But the children are struggling within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So I will inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in you, in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One, one, per, one people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Hear this today. God is wise in his choices. And the reason is God operates in his perfect foreknowledge. See, God, God sees our future. God makes choices based on his all knowledge and his foreknowledge. And when God said the older will serve the younger, he saw that Esau, he saw in his wisdom that Esau would have no desire for God. He would have no relish for the higher things of the Spirit of God. So much would he disdain the truths and the riches of God that one day he came from the field and he was famished. He'd been hunting all day. And, and Jacob had made a, some beans. Beans. Bean. Del Monte, come on. Give me some beans, Jacob, brother Jacob, Esau said. He said, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you a bowl of beans. He said, I'm about to die. What good is, what good is the birthright to me? Sure, I'll sell my birthright if you'll just give me some beans. So he agreed and sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. That would be like selling everything you own, everything that's precious to you, and somebody saying, I'll give you a penny for it. Oh, okay, what good is it to me? Selling the most valuable thing that you have for, for less than a penny. This man had no heart for God. And then there came a day. See, the birthright, he sold his birthright. The birthright, birthright was the right of inheritance. It was the right of the firstborn. The blessing later was actually the spoken blessing that would make it binding. It, it allowed spiritual leadership for the firstborn. He was the head of the family, double portion of the inheritance, and the spiritual covenant with Abraham. And, I won't, and the Bible said he despised his birthright. Esau married foreign women, which grieved the heart of his mom and dad. Esau was immoral. He was called a fornicator. He was, he was sexually immoral. God knew all this. And he said, the older will serve the younger. And when he saw Jacob, he saw, yeah, he's a deceiver now. But there's something deep in the heart of Jacob that he has a relish for spiritual things. Even though he struggles to be honest, yet in him there's this desire. And what God saw was this. God in his wisdom and in his elect knowledge, he knew that Jacob would go to Haran. And he knew that he would be disciplined there. And on the way back... When he was going to see Esau after 20 years. Listen, the last word that Esau said was, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to kill you when dad dies. And here he comes back into the promised land after 20 years. And in Genesis 32, he had an incredible experience with God that transformed his life forever. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means a supplanter. And then he was changed to a prince with God. And, and, and the, 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 the Lord the, the angel, 
the person, I believe it was the Lord, he said he wrestled with them to the, wake, the breaking of the day. And then he said, let me go. He said, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is where God wanted to get Jacob his entire life. A point of absolute helplessness and clinging to God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh. And after that meeting with God, there was a change. If you really meet God, you will change. When you had an encounter with God, you will not be the same again. And Jacob was never the same again. Was he, what, did he struggle in areas? Yeah, just like we all do. But he was a changed man. And there is, the, there is the, the patriarchal saying, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's a, that's a message of grace that Jacob got in. God saw that. It was God's choice. God chooses whom he wants to choose. We need to be careful about implementing our will. We need to be careful about, about implementing our human ideas into things. Think about it. God's ways are higher than our ways. God chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. He chose Joseph instead of Reuben. He chose Ephraim instead of Manasseh. He chose David over his brothers. And he chose Jacob instead of Esau. And Romans says this, for the children not yet being born, having not Having, uh, not having done good or evil, that the purpose of God's election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said, the older shall serve the younger. See, making decisional directions without consulting God is a big mistake. A big mistake. Number three, quickly, I'll hurry here. Third, lying in any form needs to be avoided. Lies, deceptions, misrepresentations, half-truths, false witnesses. I, I knew a family one time that was such a lying spirit, really in the whole family, but there was a young man in the family that was such a liar that he had gotten so used to lying, it was like a habit to him. And this, this lady, this grandmother said, he lies when it's, not, it, it, it's never necessary, but he lies just to lie now. He lies just because he doesn't even have to lie. He lies over stuff just because it's, such, it's so ingrained in his heart. And this grandmother was grieved as she said it. Think about this. Rebecca and Jacob's actions should be an example to anyone who misleads others and then claims, I'm doing it for God's sake. Hear this. The, the, the means do not justify the ends. God never leads someone to do wrong in order to advance a righteous cause. Now listen to this. Methods matter. Say that. Methods matter. Methods that are crude are unworthy of the gospel. Methods that bring dishonor to the gospel message. Methods do matter. The way you do something matters. Rebecca thought she was helping the Lord, but in actuality, she was harming her own family. If she, instead of manipulating, would have quietly submitted this to God, what would have happened? You would have read a different story. God would have intervened in Isaac's heart, and it would have been done in a positive, righteous way. Instead, Rebecca, with her manipulation, brought irreparable harm on her family that was never healed. Never healed. Never fully. Hear this. Spiritual success comes by doing what is right, not by deceiving actions or by hiding the truth. We're called to live the truth and we're called to speak the truth. The ninth commandment. Here's the Ten Commandment, the simple version. Put God first. No fake gods. Respect God's name. Respect God's day of rest. Respect your parents. 
Do not kill people. Respect marriage. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not be jealous. Do not lie. Manipulation is very dangerous to family, faith family. I want you to stand with me. Our musicians are coming. Here's my fourth thought, and this brings us to our prayer. Fourth is this. It would benefit the faith family greatly to spend time praying and openly sharing together. Can I hear an amen there? I know that in my family, uh, this is something that of recent we have neglected just out of busyness. You know, we're here a lot of the days of the week in the evening and up early in the morning and just trying to find the time to spend time praying together. So it's, it's a struggle for all of us. But hear this. It's important that we pray together and not just pray during crisis moments. Isaac prayed desperately for Rebecca when she was barren. Isaac had a deep experience with God where God revealed himself powerfully. It said, the Lord appeared to him in Genesis 26.2. It says in 24.36 or 63 that when Rebecca and, and the, the caravan was coming, he was walking and meditating in the field. There was evidence that there's quiet times that Isaac had with the Lord. But later in his life, it seems that he's lost that devotional spirit, not praying as he did, not thinking about the will of God as much. Spiritual coasting is dangerous to your family. Are you hearing me? Spiritual coasting is dangerous to your family. And I, I just wondered this. Did Isaac teach his boys how to pray? Or, you know, the, in, in yesteryear, especially in England, the religion was a very private matter for the English people. And it wasn't like, you know, it was, it was like it was a private thing. And the kids sometimes didn't get that. I wonder, did Isaac tell Jacob and Esau about the experiences about how he was supernaturally born through uh, Abraham and and uh, Sarah and how that the Lord appeared to him and uh, the things have you shared your experience with your kids have you taught them how to pray listen if a kid's 16 years old if he's 16 doesn't know how to pray don't know how to say the scripture don't know how to witness don't know how to stand for God we have neglected something as parents and we need to really look in the mirror and check up and see the Bible said we're called to lead our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. The last thing I'll say is this. You have everything you need to live a, have a godly family. You have everything you need to have a sanctified, godly family. Well, the world's getting worse. Yeah, it's probably going to get worse. It doesn't matter to me. You and I can live for God. Why? Peter says this, our last verse, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, by which he has given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these that we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. His divine power has given us everything we need. We just need to avail ourselves to it. Here's our close. I'm going to ask you to come and just have you a few minutes. You can stay a long time. I'm asking you to take these next last moments to come to this altar and begin to cry out to God for your family. Be this some of the best times you spent this week. Would you join me and come and pray for your family? No one can pray for your family like you can. No one can lift up your family like you can. I want you to begin to cry out to the Lord for your family.